We are in Genesis. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study, where we take a book of the Bible and go through it a verse at a time, though in the Old Testament we're prone to skip certain sections, but they're really boring. But uh, all the stuff that's really relevant, we, uh, we take a look at it. And I just put it in context, so we're just kind of going through the Bible. Now, the, the book that we're going through right now is the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. And uh, the purpose, really, of the book of Genesis was really to bring the history to the, to the contemporary point of, this is really considered the first book of Moses, to the time of Moses. Moses, everybody gets Moses. Everybody understands the history of Israel and Moses and, you know, and they were in Egypt and all that, that, that stuff. The, the question is, how did they get there? Where does all this stuff come from? Who are we? How did all this get to where it is today? And that's what Genesis does. Takes you from the very beginning and as it goes along, it's taking really big chunks of time and then just kind of hits the major points. And then it starts slowing down, focuses on Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. And uh, these are the patriarchs. Jacob, uh, his name eventually gets changed, changed to Israel. He has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel that we still talk about even to this day. So that's what all of this in Genesis actually takes us all the way up until the time they go into Egypt. Uh, and then... Then the story of Moses starts. So anyway, we are now in uh, chapter 31 of Genesis. And uh, what had happened was uh, Laban, who was uh, Jacob's uh, father-in-law, he married uh, Rachel. Well, first he got Leah. He worked for seven years for her. And and then got Leah. Surprise, the dad kind of changed the deal on him. Then he got... Rachel, but he had to work for another seven years uh, to pay her off. And, uh, and apparently Laban was constantly messing with Jacob and kind of ripping him off, kind of changing the rules, kind of, you know, and I, you, know, uh, you know, well, this will be the deal. And you start doing the deal, then they change the deal. And, you know, this happens a lot in life. If you've ever been in sales... <laughs> Anybody been through this hell, you know, where you start doing really well in sales, you start doing too well, and then all of a sudden they change the rules on you. Well, we're going to calculate things this way, and it'll be better for you. Yeah, right. And then they change it again. Anyway, so this, is, this has been going on for a long time. And what was happening to, to Jacob? So the final deal was uh, uh, Jacob says to Laban, he says, look, let's just make a deal. You get all the, the solid color animals, and I'll just take the speckled and streaked ones. Well, at the time, it was a great deal for uh, uh, Laban, because most of them were solid colored animals. Uh, so, but then we read how uh, every time these animals were breeding or whatever, Jacob would put up this wall of speckles and spots and everything else like that. And uh, we talked last week about the importance of, of, of being able to see here before you can ever experience out here. And this was kind of a thing for him. He just speckled and spotted everything, uh, created an atmosphere of faith for himself. Uh, I was reassured that that, in fact, does not make animals speckled and spotted <laughs> later. But uh, th- this was just a miracle for him. But, you know, because he just so focused on this. So God started blessing him. So all the animals started becoming out speckled and spotted, which freaked out Laban because, you know, what's the deal here, you know? And this shouldn't be happening. But it was happening for Jacob because he was being blessed by God and walking in faith. Well, then, uh, chapter 31, okay? Now, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were ticked off. 
saying, hey, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And now Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him uh, was not what it had been. So he knew the atmosphere was changing. Things weren't well for him. He was getting everything now and they weren't happy about it. So then Jacob, uh, so, so the Lord says to Jacob, he says, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. Well, that wasn't a real exciting thing for him. Remember why he was there in the first place? He was running from his relatives and from his family because he had cheated his brother Esau out of the blessing. Well, he didn't cheat it because he sold it to him over for a bowl of porridge. Yeah, but he had to trick the dad and stuff. Anyway, whatever. It was all kind of a convoluted thing. All we know is that Esau was trying to kill Jacob for what he did. So now, God, so that's why he's spending all this time away. And now God says, go back to your family. I will be with you. Well, a scary proposition, but stepping out anyway. You know, a lot of times faith, faith is, is, is a scary thing. It really is. It's, it's, it's moving into an area where you've never moved before or trusting in an area where traditionally you wouldn't trust. And then it's really the definition of faith. It's, it's Peter stepping out of the boat. You know, Jesus says, come on. And, and he steps out of the boat and, and that had to be a little creepy for him. And of course he started stepping on the water. Of course he started walking on the water. Which was pretty cool. Now it only lasted for a while because the Bible said he's, he started seeing all the waves and everything. And somewhere in his mind it dawned on him, I should not be doing this. And he starts sinking like a rock but Jesus saves him. But faith is a scary thing. If, if you think, gee, if I really have faith I won't be afraid at all. Or, 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 or feel a little tension at all. No, probably not. I mean, there's, there's still this part where it's, it's, it can be a little scary. Now, if you're walking in total fear, you won't experience your miracle. But even in faith, it's a little tentative, okay? Because it's stepping out of the boat. You're doing something you wouldn't normally do. So anyway, he tells him to go back. I'll be with you. Okay. So Jacob sends word to Rachel and Leah uh, to come out of the fields where his flocks were. And he said to them, Look, I see that your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me, the dirty rat, by changing my wages ten times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said, well, the speckled one will be your, your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. And if he said, well, the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked one young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. And in breeding season, I once had a dream. I looked up and I saw male goats mating with a flock. And they were streaked, speckled, and spotted. And the angel of the God came to me in the dream and said, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, and spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So he's telling the girls about this, trying to sell them on the idea, which is kind of interesting that he was working to get buy-in from his wives. Um, you know, you don't see that from Abraham and the other guys. They pretty much just did whatever. Of course, we saw where the, the girls were pimping him out back and forth to each, to each other <laughs> in the baby wars. You know, so apparently, you know, he, he wanted the girls buy-in on, that, on, the, on the deal. So he explains it to the ladies, which is, is a good thing to do. Then Rachel and Leah replied, Well, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? The implication is no. Does he not regard us as foreigners? The implication is yes. Okay, dad has been kind of a jerk to us. Not only has he sold us, 
which is what he did. You know, he didn't just give them in marriage. He says, well, if you give me seven years of labor, it's the same as money, right? Seven years of wages, then you can have her. And then he sells the other one for the same deal. Not only has he sold us, but he's raised, uh, but he's used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our fathers belongs to us and our children now. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels uh, and drove all his livestock ahead of them along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padam Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now when Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. So they hadn't left yet, but while Laban was busy, Rachel goes and steals Laban, the dad's gods. These idols, who know, they were probably valuable, maybe they are gold, who knows what the deal was. So clearly Laban had problems, he had no business having gods. They said not worship some stupid statue or whatever else. We don't know why Rachel stole them. Um, my guess is the girls were pretty ticked, okay? And when finally, you know, the husband got the cojones to finally leave the whole deal... She probably just lashed out and went and stole some stuff from dad. So he went and stole his stupid little idols. Uh, Again, that's my guess as to why she did it. It doesn't say why she did it, but probably most likely why. So anyway, moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country of Gilead. Well, three days later, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives, so or so then taking his relatives with him, Laban, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Well, then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, "Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. In other words, don't you touch him. Don't you touch him." Well, Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. And Laban said to Jacob, "What have you done?" You deceived me. You carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? (laughs) Because you're a big fat jerk. That's not what he said, but that's what I would have said. Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of tambourines and harps? Well, because Laban, you don't seem like a real tambourine kind of guy. I got to tell you. We thought we'd just run for our lives. You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. Yeah, that would be the daughters you sold to me. Would that be the the same ones? You've done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you. And he did. But last night the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you long to return to your father's house. But why why did you steal my gods? Why did you do that? Well, Jacob says to Laban, Well, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone here who has your gods, he shall not live. I'll kill him myself. Wait until your stupid gods in the presence of our relatives. See for yourself whether there's anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Well, now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. All right, now we've got a problem. All right? So if he finds the gods, whoever stole it... So Laban went into Jacob's tent. Didn't find anything there. And he goes into Leah's tent. Doesn't find anything there. And into the tent of the two maidservants. You remember these were the two girls being pimped out to Jacob to have more babies. What a rough life he had. And he found nothing. 
After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Dun, 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 Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Well, Laban searched through everything in the tent but found nothing. Well, why didn't he just say, hey, get up. What are you sitting, what's, this, what's sitting here? Well, Rachel had said to her father, don't, don't be angry, my Lord. I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. <laughs> now, they didn't have ladies' products like we have today. And when that time came upon girls, they pretty much just sat around and there you have it, okay? And when she said that, he said, oh, no, sit down, sit down. I don't, you're good. I don't want to see anything. So he searched but couldn't find the household gods. Well, then Jacob got mad and took Laban to task. What's my crime? What sin have I committed that you have had to hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I've been with you for 20 years now. Anyway, he goes on and on and on. He's chewing him out. It's ticked off. We don't need to read it all. If you want to read it, read it. But uh, he basically rehearses the whole thing all over again. You cheated me. You changed the deal ten times. La da da la da la, la. It's interesting. It really sounds to me like one of the major motivations of Laban even chasing these guys was for the gods. Again, either because they were of great financial wealth and value, or because he really had an idol problem worshiping these stupid gods and uh but they, they couldn't have been real big because <laughs> she's sitting on them you know anyway what a bizarre thing that was i don't know i don't think we ever read about it again i don't know what she ever did with the with the gods so anyway he basically says okay let's let's make a deal we'll set up this pillar they're always setting up pillars rocks they're just picking up rocks there must have been rocks all over the place over there so they'd make these big pile of rocks and they'd make this this promise and said okay I, I promise I won't cross this rocks to kill you and you promise not to cross the rocks to kill me and and so everybody was happy so early the next morning in verse 55 jumping down Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and he blessed them and he left them and returned home all right now Jacob next chapter Jacob also went on his way and the angels of God met him and when Jacob saw him, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place Mahanaim, which means two camps. Uh, that's all it says about that. We don't know what the point of that was, but just that apparently he was still experiencing divine revelations and, and he saw these angels and felt God was with him. Well, then Jacob sent messengers ahead of him. Now, remember, the whole point here is he's going back home, right? He's going to go see Esau. He's a little nervous because he really ripped the boy off big time, okay? Last time, he wanted to kill me. You know, that doesn't mean you get invited to the Christmas party. You know what I'm saying? When they're trying to kill you, you're not very popular. All right, I'm sure we all have relatives we'd really rather not see. But I don't think any of us are trying to kill them. At least I hope not. But that was the deal here. So now he's going back home. He's got to face Esau. He's a little nervous about it. So Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. 
And he instructed them, this is what you're supposed to say to my master Esau. Your servant Jacob says, your servant, your master, I'm your servant, your master. He's humbling himself to his brother. Okay. I've been staying with Laban and I've remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats and men servants and maid servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I might find favor in your eyes. So basically go tell him I'm coming where I've been and I got a lot of money. That's what he's saying. I got a lot, of, a lot of jack, okay? And, well, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. <laughs> ah! You know, this, this is not good! This is, obviously, I got a lot of cash. wasn't really persuasive to the boy. And so he freaks. Well, in great fear and distress, you think, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and the camels as well. He thought, well, if Esau comes and attacks one group, then at least the other group can escape. And he's trying to, uh, you know, limit his losses uh, in, in the attack. Well, then Jacob prayed. And, and, and I want you to, to, uh, to check out this prayer, because now we're, we're starting to see evidence of prayer here uh, that's starting to take shape. Uh, remember, this is all in the beginning and, and these guys would call out to God. But now, he does something interesting here. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me. Now in prayer, he starts quoting back to God what God said. Which, by the way, is a very powerful and effective prayer. And you will see from here on out, a lot of times when they would pray, they would pray exactly this way. They would start out by saying, Oh Lord, you who said. And he would remind God in their prayers of what God had said. And it's really an effective way to pray and really how you really kind of ought to pray today in a lot of ways. When you're trusting God and you're, and you're wanting to ask God for a miracle in your life, you say, Lord, you said in your word, your son Jesus said that if this and that and the other. Now in order to do that, you have to know what he said. Okay, a lot of people can't do that because they have no stinking idea what he said. One good reason you're here, God bless you, that you're coming to Bible study and you're learning what the Bible says. But as, as we go along, you want to find scriptures that speak to you and, and promises. We don't see a lot of it so much in the Old Testament, but we will uh, more so in the New Testament. But, but there are some strong ones in the Old Testament where God makes specific promises to people. And in prayer to say, Lord, you said... That if people would do this, you would do that. And if we would trust you here, you would do this. And, and, and uh, I know what it's like in my own life when I'm really needing God to move in my life. I will pray back to God what God has said in his word concerning all of us. Okay, you get that? So this, so this is where we're seeing this now. So God has made a bunch of promises and now he's starting to pray. God, this is what you said to me. Go back to your country and to your relatives and I will make you prosper. Well, why is he reminding God of this? Because if I'm dead, I can't prosper. <laughs> kind of a conflicting message here. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan. When he came out the first time running away, he said, I had nothing. But now I've become two groups, and pretty wealthy groups, by the way. Remember, they had so much money by this time. That's why everybody was so mad at him back then, because he'd prospered so much. And he prays, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I'm afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. But you have said. 
I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Again, very effective ways to pray, to remind God. First of all, it shows great respect to God for what he said. It shows that you truly trust God, what he said. Okay? And, and it creates faith. It is a powerful, powerful thing. Learn the promises of God concerning your life so you can take these promises and, and pray them back to God. Just, just a quick example. In the New Testament, we just preached this on Sunday. A very simple promise where Paul was talking about money. We talked about money on, on, on Sunday. And he says, He who sows little will receive little. He who sows much will receive much. Well, you give an offering that's a little bit of a stretch for you or something like that. Pray and say, God, your word says, you said it, it's here, that he who sows much will receive much. I'm trusting you, God, to make your word a reality in my life. Again, it shows respect to God because you're acknowledging what was written in the scriptures and and, and it gives you a point to stand on in your prayers. And uh, again, very effective ways to pray. Well, so he spent the night there after he prayed this and from what he uh, had with him, he selected a gift for his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams. To, you know, anyway, just a whole list of chickens and frogs and lizards, whatever, all these camels and stuff. It, it, basically, just a lot of money. He got together and gave a lot of money. And he puts it all together. And in, in verse 16, he put them in care of his servants, each herd by itself, and said to his servants, Go ahead of me and keep space between the herds. He instructed the one in the lead, when my brother Esau comes to you and asks him, to whom do you belong? And where are you going? Who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you're to say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a gift sent to my lord Esau. And he is coming behind us. And he also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. So anyway, he sends waves of money. Which if you'd like to do that to me, that would be okay. But... uh, (laughs) waves of money to his brother so his brother's coming along here's this guy with all this stuff who's this is it's Jacob's all this is yours and then he goes along and there's more money and he just keeps saying it so he's sending waves of this stuff at him um, so uh, blah 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 so let's, let's go to verse 22 well that night Jacob got up and took his two wives uh, his two maidservants were, which were de facto wives these were the other chicks that the regular wives were pimping out to him. Uh, and his 11 sons. Now remember, he just has 11 at this point. He will end up with 12. There are 12 tribes of Israel, but the 12th son has not arrived yet. But by now he's got 11 sons. Uh, takes the ladies across the ford of the Jabbok. Sounds like Jabba the Hutt. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And then a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Very odd thing here. Just all of a sudden, this, this man shows up and is wrestling with him. Which is just creepy to me. Just sweaty people, you know, guy wrestling with me. And he's wrestling all night long. Uh, and, and when the man saw that he could not overpower him, which sounds a little odd because you'll find out why in a second, then he touches the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So, bam! Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So right away, Jacob recognized that this was 
an angel of God. It refers to him as God, that he wrestled with God. Um, we know it wasn't, couldn't have possibly been God himself as God spoke to Moses. No man has ever been able to see me and live. You know, so God would appear in various ways through his messengers and stuff like that. But he's basically, this is known as Jacob wrestling with God. It's a very, very, very famous story in the Old Testament. Jacob wrestles with God. Now, again, was it literally God? I, I don't see, it would be inconsistent to think that it was literally God. But anyway, he would recognize, I'm not sure how these guys would recognize this stuff. Remember we talked about all of a sudden these men came along and they, and they right away recognized that they were angels? You know, I mean, you know, if an angel walked by me, I wouldn't know. I'd just, hey, get out of the way. You know, and, you know, unless he had wings or something, I wouldn't catch it. But these guys were sensitive to this. So he knew that this guy that had gotten into this wrestling thing was, was, was from God. And he says, I'm not going to let you go. Now, clearly God, I think, could have beaten Jacob, don't you think? Pretty good chance, you know. But see, God dug it that he wrestled with him. That he wrestled with him. He fought for it. He didn't just give up. He held on and he held on. And the angel kept trying to get away. I ain't letting you go. And he goes smack and pops his hip out. Ow! He says, now let me go. I'm not letting you go till you bless me. Whoa, man, oh man. Could we use some of that? Huh? To have an attitude of prayer? Have an attitude of seeking after God. God, I'm not, God, I'm praying all night long. You're not going to get any sleep tonight, God. I need a miracle. I need something to happen. Wrestling with God, fighting, sticking with it. And remember, the wrestles, the wrestles, the angel's trying to get away. You know, what kind of attitude is that? To, to so desire God, to be so committed to wanting to touch God and experience God. That even if you feel God's trying to get away from you, you don't let him go. <laughs> Jesus talked about, he says it's the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And it's the violent who take it by force. It's the stubborn ones. It's the ones who, I want this. And I'm going to wrestle this. And I'm going to fight for it until I get it from God. God loves that stuff. Because most of the people in the world... Just sit and cry. They sit and cry. I went to church. I went to church and I asked and I left and I said, nothing changed. <laughs> I'm giving up. I'm going to eat worms and die. The world's full of people like that who get discouraged in their faith. Things don't go well and they go, so they just give up. They quit. They get overwhelmed and I get it. I'm not trying to beat up on you if you're there. I bet you all of us have been there at one time or another. Some of us way too often. Well, we get discouraged in our faith and we're seeking after God and it doesn't take long and we just give up. And The devil fights and says, well, why does the devil keep fighting me? Because he knows you're going to give up. Do you know in the spirit realm when you're praying and seeking after God and Satan's resisting it, that there's a, there's a battle going on? That it hurts? It's painful for Satan? Why does he hang on? Because he knows you'll give up! When you get so dumb to the point you won't give up, you'll find he doesn't fight you so much. I'm serious. We need a determination. Wherever you're the weakest in your life, man, that's where Satan will attack you. 
Some of you, it's your commitment to your marriage. You know? If it gets so miserable, you're walking. And where do you get attacked all the time? In your marriage. Man, my marriage is always under attack. We're always under attack. Pastor, why is it always under the attack? Probably because the devil knows that he keeps it up, you'll quit. Why is it my marriage under attack all the time? He knows I'm too dumb to quit. <laughs> Seriously. So I, I'm, I'm messing with him. He never quits. Seriously, the more determined you are, and the more you experience determination and demonstrate determination in the spirit life, I believe those who experience the greatest and have experienced and demonstrated the greatest amount of determination are the ones who are least likely to be under attack. These are the ones who just... They seem to just have more of a spring in their side. Why is that? Because I'm not letting go till you bless me! It's like a chihuahua for Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like chihuahuas, they're so ugly. And they're so obnoxious. And they're so mean. And they're so determined. And they attack and they grab your breath. And it's like, don't you know I could squish you like a bug? They don't know it. They think they're a big dog. They say, I think when a a great Dane walks by, that that's their brother. That's it, that's it, brother. Come on, that's it. We all happening, we all happening. We all dog, that's a dog. I'm a dog, that's a dog. You ever see a big, strong dog whose spirit was broken? You approach it and it just yelps and it, and it pulls back and it's so afraid because it's been abused or something like that. It's kind of heartbreaking, you know what I'm talking about? And you think, wow, that dog could eat me alive. It could kill me if it was determined. But its spirit is broken. Then you run into the chihuahua. What I had for lunch was bigger than the chihuahua, Okay. And the chihuahua doesn't know he's little. And he's barking and yelling. And grabs it. He won't like, let go, you stupid dog. Actually, they freak the willies out of you. You ever see these dogs? They freak you out, man. What is it? It's a chihuahua. Jacob was a chihuahua. I'm sure the angel could have pretty much flipped him like a booger. Don't you think? But he wouldn't let go. Why? You gotta bless me. Man, I'm telling you, this is life changing stuff, man. If you get this in you, it'll change your life. You become a chihuahua for Jesus. I ain't letting go. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. Say, well, God hasn't answered my prayer. I don't care. I ain't quitting. Well, things got worse for you. I don't care. I'm not quitting. Well, the heat's really getting. I don't care. I'm not quitting. Quitting is not an option for me. I'm hanging on. Hanging on. Praise God. 
I tell people, man, when you get, when you get to the end of your rope, just tie a knot. Hang on! Don't freak out because you're on the end of the rope. Go, hallelujah, I got a knot! I'm not letting, I'm not gonna let go! I'm telling you, man, oh man. I remember when I first became a Christian. And, uh, you know, I, was, I didn't know nothing about nothing. Nothing, nothing. Just I knew there was a Jesus and he died on the cross for my sins. And, and I knew when I asked him into my heart, something dramatically changed. But I still struggled. Still struggled and I made mistakes and did stupid things and... And, and I remember, the more I started learning about the Bible, the guiltier I felt. Anybody been there? You start learning where, what it's really about, and then all of a sudden you go, you know, it's like looking in the mirror. You think you look pretty good. And you look in the mirror and your fly's open. And you got egg in your teeth. And you've been smiling all day long. And you go, ah! That's what it's like sometimes. You start reading the Bible and go, ow! Ow! Ooh! And for a while, you can start feeling a little worse the more you see where you fall short. And I remember just these thoughts that would come into my head. Guess I wonder who they came from. Thoughts that came to my head. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. You're, you're too much of a mistake. You make too many mistakes. You make too many faults. You're going to go to hell. There's nothing you can do. You blew it. You're going to hell. It's too late for you. And I really believed that. I mean, I didn't know any better. I was a brand new Christian. I really believed it. But I'll never forget the night that I was struggling with those thoughts. And I was praying to God. I had tears just running down my face. And I said, you know... I know I've blown it. I know it's too late. I know I'm still going to go to hell anyway. But you know what? I'm going to serve you anyway for the rest of my life. And then when I go to hell, that'll be okay because I deserve it. But I'm not letting go. I'm telling you, that was a turning point in my life. It changed my life. The devil finally said, this guy's a moron! (laughs) Thoughts quit bothering me. I discovered God really wasn't sick of me. That it really did love me. But in my ignorance, all I knew was to hang on. And that's what Jacob did. He said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And the man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said to him, was no ordinary man, said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. This is where he gets his name change. And God says it to him again a little bit later. This is now, Jacob becomes Israel. That's why we get the 12 tribes of Israel. The nation of Israel all goes back to this man who would not let go of God. Your name will be Israel because you have struggled with God. Because Israel literally means struggles with God. Wow. You struggle with God and with men and have overcome he had struggles in his life 
And in the midst of all these struggles, he still hung in there. Then Jacob says to him, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blesses them. Then Jacob calls the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day, the Israelites do not eat when they eat of, of, of an animal, you know, a, a, a bull or whatever. They don't eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip, hip was touched near the tendon. Just a tradition that they came with. Don't eat that. That's a reminder of Jacob. Anyway, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. Oh boy, here we go. Now it's coming. But he hung in there. He did what God told him to do. Go back to his family. He prayed to God. God, remember you promised you would bless me. Being obedient to you. Wrestled with God. I won't let you go till you bless me. And again, remember, he did this thinking very likely he was going to die. Say, Pastor, it's easy for you to say, hang on to God, but you don't know what it's like in my life. I'm telling you, this guy was thinking he very likely was facing death at the hand of his brother. So he divides the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, and Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. Uh, he went himself, he went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother, trying to humble himself before his brother, had offered him all the stuff in fear of his life. But then it says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. Then Esau, Esau looked up and saw the women and children. He says, who are these with you? Jacob answered, these are the children God has graciously given your servant. Talking about himself. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down to Esau. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau seeing all of this. And then he asked Jacob, what do you mean by all these droves I met? <laughs> What's with wave after wave of all the flocks? What's that all about? And he says, well, I did this to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. But Esau said, I already have plenty. My brother, keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. Does anybody hear a bunch of crickets? That's your phone? You have crickets for a phone ring. Honestly, for a minute there, I thought I was losing it. I'm thinking, I think I hear crickets. And I kept reading and I couldn't read anymore. I think I'm hearing crickets. That is the oddest ring I think I've ever heard anybody ever have. 
<laughs> How do you hear that in a noisy restaurant? Oh my goodness. Anyway, okay. Back to back on track, Mark. Focus, focus. So he says, well, you know, Esau says, you don't got to give me all this stuff. I got plenty of stuff. And, and Jacob says, no, please, if I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me favorably, please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. So he took all the gifts that he wanted to give him. Then Esau said, well, let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are tender. They're the little kids and have to care for the ewes and the cows that are nursing their young. If they're driven hard, just one day all the animals will die. So, so let my Lord go ahead of his servant while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me and that of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. And Esau said, well, then let me leave some of my men with you. Why do that, Jacob said. Just let me find favor in, in the eyes of my Lord. Talking about him, you know. So uh, that day Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. Uh, that is why the place is called Succoth, which means shelters. After Jacob came to uh, Paddan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped in the side of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver, he bought from the sons of Hamar, the father of Shechem, the plot of the ground where he pitched his tent. And there he set up an altar and called it El Eloi Israel, the God of Israel. So anyway, he comes to this city named Shechem. It's Hamor is the, is the father. He has this name, the son named Shechem. And he names the city after his son. And uh, what we're going to do now, remember uh, I told you whenever they mention women, you got to pay attention because they're coming later in the story. They mention all kinds of guys you don't hear about again. But uh, like when they mentioned the two maidservants, well, those are the girls that were pimping them out, you know, and, and whatever else like that. Uh, well, then all of a sudden they mention one daughter named Dinah. And we're about to hear about Dinah now. That's why they bothered to tell us about Dinah. So we're about to read a very bizarre story. But uh, it's, it's really powerful and strong. You don't want to miss it next Wednesday night because we're out of time now. But, uh, but it's cool stuff. It's cool stuff. You know, it's like watching 24. You know, you got to wait next week to see the rest of the story. So anyway, our uh, ushers, come on out and get ready to... Uh, take the offering for tonight the musicians and guys come on back up hallelujah we serve a wonderful god let's pray father we thank you for your blessings and your kindnesses to us god you have been so kind to us far greater than any of us deserve but thank you for your love thank you for your blessings thank you god that you love people even imperfect people. Lord, as we read of these patriarchs in the Old Testament, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's, it's kind of stunning to see in how many ways they were not perfect. How many ways they made some really dumb mistakes and some of them doing quite shocking things, some things we wouldn't even do. But God, in spite of all that, we see that you love people. 
And you loved these people. Because even in the midst of their failings, even in the midst of their faults, even, oh God, in the midst of their greatest mistakes, they still trusted in you. And we thank you, Lord, that it's by faith that blessings come to us. And by faith tonight, we give these offerings for the advancement of your kingdom. Bless all those who give, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.